Good morning and welcome to East Tennessee Now, a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make our community such a great place to live, work, and raise a family. Here's your host for East Tennessee Now. All right, well, Dr. Rothwell, here it is, 2022, and we're seeing numbers of COVID cases going up yet again. Welcome to year number three of the coronavirus. I know the pandemic continues. And what's fueling it now? Well, you know, it's just a different strain, and it's circulating out there. And, you know, I think the thing people have been maybe misled to believe is that we're going to get through the COVID-19, and it's going to go away. But, you know, you got to remember, COVID-19 or coronavirus is a coronavirus, and that's the same virus that causes the common cold. And they've been trying to destroy that since I was a baby. And don't think it's ever going away. It's going to reform kind of like the flu. It's here to stay. And we just need to learn to deal with it. And what is the difference between, say, the flu, COVID, or even a cold? And are symptoms similar? Well, you know, unfortunately, symptoms are very similar. Treatments can be very different. And so it's it's very important to tell whether it is, you know, the flu and coronavirus, it's very difficult because They both hit you like a ton of bricks. They come on, you've got respiratory symptoms, you've got a cough maybe. You can have alterations in your smell and uh, taste with either one, although it's more common with COVID. But, you know, headaches, body aches, muscle aches, fever, all of that's very similar and happens with both the flu and COVID. The difference in telling which you have and what's good, but also is very bad right now because of our test shortage, if it's the flu, You take an antiviral like Tamiflu early on, and it cuts the duration and severity of symptoms. You have to remember, people are being hospitalized and dying from the flu as well, always have been, the elderly, the very immunocompromised, and infants, unlike the COVID, die from the flu. So you have to be aware, and if you know it's the flu, you can treat it and, and with a positive outcome. The good thing about COVID, there actually is you know, now two oral medications that have been approved by the FDA that you can take that will also decrease the symptoms and severity, keep you out of the hospital, keep you from dying from it. The problem is that was just emergency release was passed by the FDA in December. And so they still don't have it out. They're sending it to the states, very limited supplies. The state health departments decide who gets it, where it can be dispensed. And as of yet, it's really not readily available, but hopefully that will be on the shelves soon so we can prescribe that to people that need it. And what are the symptoms of the coronavirus at this time? Because I know that they've changed from the beginning of all this. As the virus evolved and as our knowledge of the virus has evolved, you have to remember in 2019, we'd never seen it before. This was a new virus, new disease, and we were trying to figure out what are all the symptoms. So it was almost changing weekly as we got more experience with the disease. Now, we know, you know, body aches, fevers, flus, can be upper respiratory cough, loss of smell, loss of taste. But you can have now with this Omicron variation, we're seeing nausea and vomiting. Diarrhea happens sometimes. Uh, so the, the good thing about the Omicron, it appears much less severe, although it's more rapidly contagious than the others, it seems a lot less severe in terms of hospitalization and fatality, part of that may be reflected by the amount of exposure we've had as a society over the last two years and the vaccination. But at any rate, whatever the reason, Omicron doesn't be 
it doesn't seem to be wreaking the havoc with people's lives and loss of life like the other versions did. And at what point, Dr. Rothwell, should we be getting a test? Well, you know, you should get a test if you think you've been exposed or if you have the symptoms. Unfortunately, we've had tests back or we can't even get the rapid test ourselves for the last three weeks. And the problem is the federal government has decided that they made the announcement in December because testing was difficult to come by, that they were going to provide them free to all Americans. Well, that's great. Suddenly, they commandeered 500 million tests off the market, and now we don't have them. They're not available for distribution yet, but supposedly they're stockpiled, and I would recommend everybody go online to the .gov testing site, raise your hand and ask for your free test. Supposedly over the next couple of weeks, they're going to start sending at-home rapid tests so you can have one at home. Right now, that's the difficult part is just having access to rapid tests. Now, we still do the uh, molecular tests, but, you know, as it has always been, that has to go to a special lab to send out. It takes a couple of days to get the results. And if you do take one of those tests, should you be quarantining until you get your results back? Probably should if you've got the symptoms, yeah. But, you know, speaking of quarantining, at least the quarantining over the last couple of weeks, the recommendations have changed from 10 days to 5 days, so that's cut in half. That's that's on the bright side. Yeah, do you see that working out well as far as, like, with your patients? Here's the thing. Who knows? I don't think anybody can accurately tell us right now. I think there's a a limit of tolerance that the public has with quarantining, and I think we've probably been tested to our wits end with that. Basically, the CDC has said, okay, only five days. We can get away with five. Wear a mask when you come out and blah, blah, blah. But uh, does that work? You know, Omicron is it's surging right now. There's such a to give you an example, our incidence of positive tests in Tennessee as recently as six weeks ago was about 10 to 20 percent. And now we're approaching 40 percent positivity rate. So it's like it's out there. It's all around us. And is the quarantining for five days affecting that? Probably not. How are we doing vaccine wise? Oh, you know, I think at this point we're at a steady state. The people that wanted to be vaccinated and believed in it did it. The people who are the anti-vaxxers and say no way, they haven't done it. They're not going to do it. And we've got probably close to 60, 70 percent that are vaccinated. And that's probably about as good as we're going to get. And now we've got some people getting their booster shots, as has been recommended. But uh, the jury's out on whether... Whether that's necessary, is it necessary? I know a friend of mine went to her personal physician and wanted to get her antibody levels before she got a booster shot, and she had off-the-chart antibody levels. So do you need a booster shot if you've got high? No, you don't. Who knows? I'm not recommending no booster shot. The CDC recommends booster shot, and I think everybody should make their own decision about that. And the antibody test, that will tell you? Well, that will tell you if you have antibodies against COVID. I mean, if you've had the vaccination, you should have antibodies. If you've had COVID, you'll have antibodies. It'll tell you basically if they do a quantitative test what your degree or level of antibodies circulating are. But what you have to remember, even if you have a really, really low antibody titer, meaning you may have had it when it first came out in 2019, and your levels may have gone low because you haven't been exposed to it recently, you're still not measuring cellular immunity, which are like our lymph node 
white blood cells that kind of are the surveyors of all things that we've processed as things that we will respond to. Nobody's measuring cellular immunity. That's your long-term immunity that really responds way out in time to stuff. And there's really no good, convenient, economical test that you can measure cellular immunity. Whether the antibodies being low or not is significant. Hence, do you really need a booster shot or not? I don't think there's good scientific data for that right now, honestly. Also, when we were talking about testing and when to get a test, and I think, because my friends and I, we were all talking about this, and we get so confused. friend of mine, she had COVID, and then... So her son was testing, didn't have it. She had him take a test a few days later. He ended up with COVID. So is there still a certain time within the time you're sick? Or are you supposed to wait a few days if you know you were exposed to take a test? How often should you be taking a test? Even the, uh, the home test, when they were available, you could buy them, always came as a test kit of two tests. And the reason why is if you get a negative test, you should wait 48 hours and try it again simply because if you've just been exposed today, you're not going to have enough viral load in your body to test positive today or maybe not tomorrow, but usually within 48 to 72 hours, you do. Now, the first version of COVID, when we got it in 2019, it took a good three, four days for that to become positive. Omicron variety and the Delta variety rapidly build up and you're shedding virus so much more rapidly, which is why they were so much more highly contagious. Usually within 48 hours, you'll be positive. So it's a little quicker, but it's still, you know, it's not immediate. How long will it stay in your system? Do we know about that? How long should we expect to stay home, stay out of work, I guess what I'm trying to say? question is, how long do you shed virus? Can you test positive after you're initially positive? For the majority of people, within 7 to 10 days, they stop shedding enough viral particles so that their test is negative. Mm-hmm. Now, there are reports, rarely, of people that at three months still test positive. Although they're not contagious, they'll test positive, but it's really rare. If you're positive, you really should consider yourself to be positive and infectious until, you know, the five days passed. And, and if you already have it, should you be getting a vaccine or not even worried about it? If you already have coronavirus? Yeah, if you've had coronavirus, but you never even got the vaccine to begin with, should you mm-hmm. still get the vaccine or, hey, I had coronavirus, I'm all set? Well, you know, that's an ongoing debate between Dr. Fauci and the good doctor senator from the state of Kentucky, Rand Paul. If you listen to experts, and I would consider them both experts. He's a medically educated senator, uh, ophthalmologist, actually, and Rand, uh, and uh, so is Fauci. They differ in opinions. And, and usually in medicine, when there's a lot of difference of opinion on a subject that's so hotly debated, it usually boils down to there is really no good answer right now. Good question. I don't really have a good answer. We understand that things change. But also, I was very curious. The health department gives us numbers. State health department, um, our county health departments give us numbers about how many people have the coronavirus. And if there are so many people also testing with these home kits, these numbers are probably higher than we really think they are. That's the thing. What they know are their reportable sources, the health departments and all. But you got to realize that's a small fraction of people actually being tested or that have the disease now. I mean, there are people that have flu-like symptoms, say, well, I'm not going to test and I'm just going to stay home or I'm not going to test because I don't want to know and I'm going to work. 
there, it's all over the board out there right now. So really telling how many cases, I can tell you it's very prevalent from what we see being tested and becoming positive. We know that rate is really high, but does that probably misstate the prevalence? Sure. On the low side, it's, as you say, much higher than we really know actually right now. How long does flu season stick around? When is the latest we can get a flu shot? Well, you can get a flu shot now, and it will be very beneficial. This flu season, unlike the last two, we had two very mild flu seasons, almost no incident of it last year that we saw. But that, you know, a lot of factors there. There, you know, there are good, bad flu seasons and good flu seasons. We happened to be in a dip for the last two years, fortunately, and we were social distancing and wearing masks. So. It was the perfect storm not to have the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, this flu season is back to a regular, very, very contagious flu season, and we're right at the beginning of that. Uh, there's a high incidence, in fact, in Tennessee and all around us, the surrounding states right now. We're seeing a lot of flu, and that generally will last till you know March, into March. So uh, there's still time. You know, once you get a flu vaccine, generally takes about two weeks before you see an effect where it will prevent or reduce the severity of the flu. This year's flu vaccine is not perfect. Uh, In other words, you can still get the flu after the vaccine, but the severity and the length and duration of it seems to be much less than those who've been vaccinated. So I still highly recommend everybody get a flu vaccine. The most important people to get it for right now are the elderly, the immunocompromised, and children. And you can get the flu vaccine and COVID vaccine at the same time, basically. At the same time. And in fact, speaking of at the same time, you can also get COVID and the flu at the same time. We've had numerous reports of that now, um, and we expect that might be on the rise as well. They're calling it uh, the uh, flu Rona. Flu Rona. <laughs> that yeah. does not sound like fun. Well, you never want both of anything. Uh, not uncommon, though, with the flu to have some other respiratory virus, so we wouldn't expect it to be weird to get both of these at the same time. Fortunately, with this Omicron variant and the flu, it doesn't necessarily look to be a horrible combination. It doesn't really look that much different. More than likely, if you go to someone, your uh, local clinic, like, say, WellKey Urgent Care, um, and I have certain symptoms that I think, I'm not sure if I have a cold, flu, or COVID, what will you be doing, Doc? We would test you for the flu. We would send out a COVID test on you. And until we got that back, we would ask you to quarantine. Now, the flu, you know, obviously that's a rapid test that we can give you results on, you know, within 15, 20 minutes. And so everything negative, negative, it's just a cold, the common cold. What are, I guess, some of the best remedies for the cold? I feel like I've been battling one for like weeks. It just keeps lingering. I've taken COVID tests. I know it's not the flu because I don't feel miserable. I haven't had a temperature, but like the cough keeps coming and going, the sinuses and everything. You know, unfortunately, that kind of cold-like symptoms and all, it can drag on two to three weeks sometimes. And it's just slow smoldering misery, uh, unfortunately, you know. Basically, we treat the symptoms, you know, antihistamines, decongestants, um, things to prevent cough so you can rest at night. Uh, and there's always the tried and true remedy for years, and that's uh, chicken soup, right? Do you really think that's true? 
You know, there's actually been data in a scientific study proving that chicken soup helps. Wow. So does that go for chicken chili, too? I don't know about chili. I don't think I've ever eaten on that, but why not? So what is it about the soup? I feel it. hey, it just makes you feel good. It's something warm and cozy. It makes you feel good, and who knows? You know, we have pheromones. There's no telling what internal chemistry happens in the body, but uh, there is evidence that chicken soup helps. Are there Can't any of, <laughs> That's true. Are there any other... I say myths out there. We hear, okay, you got to, you know, make sure you put a hat on before you go outside. You're going to catch a cold. Uh, yeah, don't drink out of the same container as someone else. You're going to catch a cold. Drinking behind someone, that's a valid thing. To put a hat on or you're going to catch a cold, that, that's kind of be, been debunked a little bit. That Actually, there, there's a study on that and showed no difference in colds, whether you wore a toboggan outside or not. So. That's a, that and the chicken soup, those are about the two most prevalent that I'm aware of. All right, doctor, give us some advice. How can we try to stay COVID-free, flu-free, and cold-free? Well, well, the same goes for all three, and that is a lot of hand-washing, continue that, good personal hygiene. You know, if you have the flu or if you have covid you know, do your best to isolate yourself. I mean, whether it's the flu or whether it's COVID, you're still contagious and by the same means. It's droplets, it's contamination off touch surfaces. So everybody take care of everybody out there, you know. That's the best thing you can do. Right. And how's our favorite doctor been feeling? Well, since my last COVID in July, terrific, knock on wood. And I've had my booster shot just because I'm around it all the time. But then again, I think all of us are around it all the time. I just hope I don't get it again. Well, we're glad you're feeling good. Any other last words you'd like to leave the listeners with this morning? Just Happy New Year to everybody. Healthy Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, stay safe out there. And hopefully we'll be through pandemic mode this year. We'll see. That's Dr. Rothwell of WellKey Urgent Care. Good morning and welcome to East Tennessee Now a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make our community such a great place to live, work, and raise a family. Here's your host for East Tennessee Now. Well, hello, 2022. Ringing in a new year. Good morning. This is Michelle Silva. Thank you so much for joining me. Those New Year's resolutions, diet, exercise, I'm going to get more of it, right? Health, wellness, I'm going to be so good this year. I'm going to look great, and we want to stick to it, too. (laughs) That's why I brought my friend Chip Gibson in. He is the owner of F45 Training in Knoxville, also a personal trainer, a father, husband. So you are a busy guy. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. I mean, I'm like most people these days. (laughs) Right. And so when we talk fitness, okay, someone wants to start something new this year. I'm like, I need to get into fitness, and I haven't been in a long time. Right. Where do you start, Chip? I mean, the biggest thing is one, not having unrealistic expectations. It's good to set goals, but it's also good to set realistic goals. So if you start slow, say, hey, I'm going to you know, move three times a week, whatever that is, walk, weights, exercise, go to the gym, whatever it may be, that's a good start. And just mm-hmm. say, okay, this week I'm going to get three times at 30 minutes. And then next week I'm going to see how I feel, maybe repeat that again. It usually takes two months to make something a habit, to make it normal for you. Most people, they'll come for a month. The resolutionist, we call them, you don't see them again. So if you can just go for two months 
typically get to spring break. That's a good goal, making it three times a week, but just not setting unrealistic expectations. What are some of the trends when it comes to working out? I remember years ago it was Jazzercise, it was Zumba. Right. It's it's all over the place. I mean, the trends team seem to be going like kind of a little away from the big box gyms. I've been a fan of those for years, but people just tend not to maybe utilize all that some of the large facilities have. So maybe... You know, they're kind of going to the, the either Planet Fitness or like more towards kind of what we do, kind of the higher end boutique style, kind of a hybrid between group training and one-on-one. So the Orange Theories, CrossFits, bar, yoga studios, you know, the smaller group training studios and Planet Fitness. Those seem to be the trends as well as Pelotons of the world. Peloton is actually really great if you can work out at home. Some kind of go back and forth with that. Like, they do it for a while, they get tired of being at home, then they come back, or they do a little of both, depending on what their lifestyle needs are. As long as you're just moving, that's the most important thing, though. I find that I have to join a gym because I know, okay, that way I have somewhere <laughs> to go because I try to work out at home, and it doesn't always happen. You have distractions. For you, it's probably kids. Yeah, 100%. My schedule's unpredictable, so it, it's tough. So I'm the same way. I mean, I, I hear it a lot of people coming in. You know, I have a home gym, but I just, my kids are there. There's work stuff because I work from home, so I can never get away. So sometimes just getting out and obviously, you know, I'm an owner. So yeah, I just, I'm just telling you what I hear, but it is a common thing. It's more mental than anything. I just got to turn off when I'm working out. That's really hard because our cell phones, you can do everything from them. So mental health is a huge thing right now and whatever can help with that. That's a huge key right now. Everybody, you know, kind of feels like they've been inside way too much. So getting outside of the house, where that be just going for a walk in your neighborhood too, is is really important just to be able to kind of unplug. That's becoming, I think, more and more important as social media can present some problems and, and so on and so forth. But I have to get out. I mean, I have another gym membership outside of my own for that exact reason. And you uh, mentioned mental health, mental health awareness, so mm-hmm. forth. And I feel that when you work out, no matter what you do, it just kind of clear the mind. It kind of helps. Yeah. Rejuvenate clarity. clarity. Yeah, there's some studies out there, and I've actually had mental health issues run in my family, depression and anxiety. You know, there's a bunch of studies out there that show this, and obviously there are certain medications that are needed for certain people. There's chemical deficiencies, and I'm, I'm not bad mouthing medication because certain people need it, definitely. But specifically this time of year, seasonal depression is a huge thing. I experienced it at certain periods of my life that were super stressful, transition periods. And it is a thing. There are studies that show that exercise can be just as effective as low-dose depression medication. The endorphins that get going, the blood flow to your brain specifically. I mean, exercise is the miracle pill, so to speak, along with eating healthy. We hadn't touched on that yet, but let's say you're just, you're not worried about your diet. Well, exercise is going to do you some good regardless of your diet. You're going to feel better just getting a sweat in. I sweat. Some people don't, and that's okay. Oh, I sweat. I sweat just <laughs> looking at the weight. But that, but see, like that's good for your skin too. Like my skin always feels just clear when I work out. But it's actually correlated directly with intensity. So actually, the more intense you work, you know, you know that's specific to the individual. The higher level of the endorphins that make you feel good after you're done are going to be. There's a, it's called runner's high. That's mm-hmm. kind of a common term, but you don't have to be running to do it. You could be elliptical high or, you know, Peloton high or strength training, like that kind of buzz sometimes you get after a workout. That's exactly what that is. And everybody always, when's the best time to work out? Well, whenever you can. But if you do work out in the morning, 
you will find that the rest of your day tends to go pretty smooth because your brain's it's it's got the juices flowing so you got some energy too you do it does, <laughs> it sounds weird in the beginning it you seem like it's just you're always tired when you're doing it but there's a, a quote it's 80 uh, percent of success is just showing up mm-hmm. well if you can get to the gym or get downstairs turn tv on you know get treadmill peloton whatever that's the hardest part <laughs> it's just doing that yeah you, you can get through the workout you're not a hundred percent but even a you at 50% of a workout is better than zero. So, And how do you choose the right gym? Because especially this time of year, everyone's offering specials. So try us for a week here, try a free workout, sure. or try a month here, or uh, buy one, get one free. There's so many options and so many discounts. There are a lot. I would take advantage of those. Convenience is a huge factor, and that's it depends on the person. I would try everything out, honestly. Maybe try something you haven't done before. As we get older, it, we tend to need what we don't like. For men in particular, we need to do typically more yoga type activities. Females need to strength train a little more. We all could use cardio to a point, but, you know, you can always go for a walk. So convenience is a huge thing. Sometimes, you know, financial decisions do play a role. But this is the best time to take advantage of all those promos that any gym in your five square mile radius, usually five to ten minutes is kind of the general consensus. If you can get if there's one within five to ten minutes of your house that's convenient enough for most. Say you can't afford a gym or if you do or you just can't make it out there that day and you well, I got my neighborhood and a beautiful day. Is walking really going to do me any good? A thousand percent, yes. Especially this time of year, I open the doors to the gym. Like, go for a walk, y'all. I appreciate people coming in the gym and working out with us, of course. But vitamin D is a huge thing right now. This time of year, there were studies in some northern countries that showed the lack of vitamin D contributed to a huge flux in anxiety and depression. So, Uh, With last year, people not getting outside as much because we were indoors due to the pandemic. Vitamin D deficiency plays a huge role, specifically in these winter months where we have seasons. This part of the country, we have seasons where the sun's just not out as much. Go for a walk. There's studies that show that 30 minutes a day is obviously a good goal, especially if you have a sedentary job. You might even up that a little. Wait, 30 minutes a day, how many days a week? I mean, as many as possible, but, but I mean, the, the 150 minutes is a good goal of activity that might not necessarily be walking. That could be coupled with strength training, yoga, but really just to where you're, we used to have in school, it was called the talk test where if you had to take a breath every so often and say, we were talking like you and me are now, that was a good intensity. So kind of, you don't really have to think about heart rate. You can just think, Hey, if I was talking at a fast, fairly fast paced, like you and I are conversational and I have to take a breath. That's, that's a good intensity, but the higher the intensity, the less the duration. So if you were doing like one of our classes, 40 minutes is really could be pretty intense. You could lower that to maybe 120 minutes, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what if I don't have 30 or 40 minutes to spend at a certain time every day? I'm glad you asked. 10 minutes is the kind of minimum one to receive the cardiovascular benefits. That's, that's the biggest thing to have a healthy heart and lungs especially right now, that's a big thing. Even if you're not feeling 100%, most people can kind of muster up to go for a little bit of a walk, specifically if it's pretty outside. You're getting the cardiovascular benefits and you're getting the vitamin D as well. It's a win-win really. But yeah, 10 minutes at a time. So I think most people could manage 10 minutes, whatever it may be. You may not think about it right now. Um, Well, we just got over that, I guess, the shopping season. But you know, you're walking throughout the mall, you're getting a lot of steps. We mentioned the 10 minutes at a time. So if you broke that up, you might not be able to schedule in an hour workout or 30 minutes, but maybe you could have 10 minutes in the morning, 
you know, your, your break in the morning, depending on your job, 10 minutes in the evening, walk your dog, get the mail. You know, you can set your watch, set your phone, whatever, just 10 minutes out and back, end of your neighborhood, whatever five minutes equals, and then turn around and come back. Those are really good, simple strategies to just slowly increase without it just being such a burden mentally or physically. And what about exercise after you eat? I remember back in the day, we'd out, be outside riding our bikes or playing. Right. Now, is that good for you? Does that, <laughs> am I going to work off what I already ate? Right. No, not necessarily, but it's not, it would be a good thing actually, because I quote studies. I sound like such a dork. It's, it's fairly new within the past five years is new where they did a study with diabetics and they had them do 10 minute walks after every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, some had a bike ergometer or just what you would call a seated bike. Others went for a walk. And specifically the last meal of the day was seemed to be the most important on their blood work, which if you haven't got your blood work done and you get regular health checkups yearly, I highly recommend getting your blood work done. But they showed a dramatic decrease in what you'd call all-cause all mortality factors. Their A1C was lower. Their blood sugar was lower. Just if you do or don't have diabetes, I mean, that's still not beneficial. So just doing that activity right after, assuming you didn't have a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, size meal, which that's another discussion, <laughs> but, but yeah, is, is super beneficial. Now I wouldn't maybe go, uh, out in the ocean and tread water. You know, <laughs> there's some levels of danger there depending on your type of activity, but it, it would definitely be a good thing. Actually. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm Michelle Silva. Thanks for listening. Remember, East Tennessee Now is available on demand as a podcast from iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. I'm Michelle Silva, and I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to East Tennessee Now, a weekly public affairs program featuring some of the people and organizations that make Knoxville and East Tennessee such a great place to live. If you have a suggestion for the program, we'd love to hear from you. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 27100, Knoxville, Tennessee 37927, or call the studios at 865-525-6000. That's 865-525-6000. East Tennessee Now is a presentation of Midwest Communications Company.